Welcome to Reality Bites Radio on the 13th of August uh, 2015. I hope the number 13 is not unlucky for us because we've got a horrendous thunderstorm going on at the moment outside and uh, hopefully we'll stay on air. Um, delighted to welcome Alan Watt back to the, the show. Uh, you there, Alan? Yeah, I'm here. Yep. Uh, loud and clear there. Okay, I think we've, we've kind of broached the subject before, but uh, I was watching, uh, thinking about staff suckers the other night. Somebody mentioned something in a chat box. And, it, it, and uh, myself and Paula watched a movie about a, a Mexican artist and Trotsky was in it, <coughs> and then I started thinking about the Stranglers calling him a hero, and in uh, and their famous song "No More Heroes," I was into the Stranglers at the time, uh, a long time ago, and yes. you know I've heard you many times talk about uh, Trotsky, and uh, in the, in this movie, of course, they were you know denigrating Stalin as being the, the you know the worst evil on the planet and all of this, but but um, I mean Trotsky was no hero himself; he was he was just as bad, if if not worse. Um, and then we'll go through a, a few others uh, who were politi- political in a sense, right through to everybody now is a celebrity, but they're getting involved in politics. And, and Bono himself has, has actually said he's going to give up music and go full time into politics. Mm-hmm. But um, I mean, starting with uh, Trotsky, uh, what, what was his purpose and, and why was he promoted as some kind of um, you know counterpoint to Stalin and and seen as a far better choice? Mm-hmm. Well, the 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 whole point of it was this myth that was created about communism or Bolshevism in, in Russia. Uh, a minority group, mainly from outside Russia, took over the country. That's a fact. And, uh, uh, and of course, they went right into action. Uh, they knew what to do to get uh, the propaganda really working and how great they were doing in this new great enterprise and all that stuff. But uh, Trotsky himself was put in charge of the Red Army for a long time. And he slaughtered, he, he did what Lenin said. Uh, uh, they had whole lists of people. Uh, they'd, they'd gone through all the census taking. This is what standard communism always did, even through Poland and different countries. They already had uh, lists of uh, people who, who voted, uh, what religions they were, all that kind of thing. And, uh, and they had lists of them in every town and village and city. Uh, and they slaughtered them. They, they wiped out a whole uh, middle class, in fact. In fact, Trotsky boasted, boasted about it, um, that they'd eradicated a class. And uh, so he was a mass slaughterer. What they did, too, was to, the reign of terror was part of it because the Lenin said, uh, go into every town and village, and doesn't matter if you can't get anybody who's a dissenter uh, to this revolution, uh, round a bunch of them up, regardless, anybody will do. Uh, and hang them, uh, other ones uh, disembowel them, force them at bayonet point to walk around a tree where the, their intestine was nailed on and it would unravel as it went around a tree to absolutely terrify the public. That was a great Trotsky in action. So uh, when Stalin came into power, uh, the Bolsheviks were uneasy because, again, they were a minority group and, uh, and they were kind of wary of Stalin. And Stalin introduced his own policies, of course, a, a bit different from the radical uh, system that was already in place, and many um, and, and of them fled out of the country, in fact, and feared their lives. Um, and so what they did, they called it Neo-Trotskyism, as a, as a, as a kind of opponent of Stalinism. Uh, and uh, so the, world, the worldwide communist movement eventually called themselves uh, uh, Neo-Trotskyites, etc., and that's still the same today, in fact. 
uh, still holds today. So they made a, a kind of glorious a hero that had the true cause still in his heart, and uh, Stalin usurped it sort of idea. That's the, that's what the, that's the propaganda they gave out in fact. So even the Young Marxist Association of the World. They have their annual meetings today, um, give praise to, to Trotsky's uh, ideal motives, etc. Yeah, just, just which one must Yeah, oh yeah. Um, which begs the question, I mean, why, why the, the Stranglers called him a hero, you know, um, you've you got to wonder. But uh, okay, yeah. um, moving on to somebody who was supposed to be um, symbolic of uh, peace and non-compliance and all the rest, of, all, the, all the things that, you know, we would all like to see in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. um, Gandhi. Now, I, I read a biography maybe, I don't know, 20 years ago or so on Gandhi, and it wasn't uh, very complimentary. I mean, he was, he was beating his wife, he was having sex with young girls. Yeah. Uh, he certainly wasn't a vegetarian, um, mm-hmm. and he just wasn't an altogether pleasant person. And yet, and yet here we are. I mean, still today, we hear Gandhi quoted all over the place um, as this man of uh, global peace. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I mean, of course, Oxford Educated, as uh, listeners will be familiar with. Yeah, that's where he got his agenda from. People have no idea that the universities in England uh, were heavily involved in a, uh, this very quiet Milner group that became the Royal Institute for International Affairs. It still runs the world today. It's a private organization. And the CFR is a branch for America. But they run uh, the world, they set up the United Nations, all these. So they have their own agenda, and part of it was to give the appearance that countries would be, no longer be uh, colonies of any other empire. That was part of the appearance of it. And uh, Milner was already talking about um, uh, once they had introduced the, the thorough British civil servant system and governmental system into India and the colonies. They, 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 and we were sure they'd stay with it, they could then withdraw and uh, they'd be a kind of pseudo-British uh, Commonwealth country. It's still part of the Commonwealth today, India. Uh, so they put Gandhi forth to start the radicalization process. And um, he came out of England, of course, as a lawyer. And um, uh, as I say, a fantastic uh, machinery went into operation, to cre- the same machinery actually that created Einstein to become a kind of star, that's what they do, and uh, uh, a superhero sort of idea, ultimate pacifist, which wasn't true. He said to the ones, he says, he says for those who, who are afraid of fighting, don't fight, but he says the rest should fight. So he wasn't a pacifist at all. And um, <clears throat> he went through these kind of token imprisonments to, to gain more superstardom. It's a common technique that's used. And... Um, uh, those that imprisoned them uh, at the top knew what they were doing. The, the guys who looked after him hadn't a clue, I'm sure. And uh, when when he's, they were imprisoned in one prison, his wife as well in a different cell, they both came down with pneumonia, and uh, he accepted antibiotics, but he forbade his wife to take them uh, for protest purposes. Uh, he also slept with uh, an 18 a year old girl every night, a different one every night, to show to show how pure he was that he wouldn't touch her. <laughs> there was temptation wouldn't. So he had all this myth-making machinery went into operation to make him a fantastic superstar, yeah. yeah when he took uh, Indians over to South Africa, uh, it, I mean, he must have known it was going to cause trouble. Mm-hmm. And, uh, well, it did, because the, the, the poor South Africa, the, the, the indigenous black people in South Africa couldn't get the work because the, all the Indians flooded in and, and took it. 
Yes. Well, actually, Britain used that technique uh, very commonly over a long period of time. Uh, they brought in different Indian workers initially into Africa, even for re- laying railroads before they brought Chinese in. And, uh, but they also brought in, a, 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 again, the civil servant class they trained into the British Empire system uh, from India. And they put them into Jamaica and other countries as well. And uh, there's still a lot of animosity today because they became the merchants and the ruling class and the money boys and uh, the government, in fact. And that happened in Africa as well. So Britain used them in Africa. And that's why you had all the problems with Idi Amin, uh, who expelled a lot, the whole lot of them, actually, out of there. Back in the 70s, I think it was, they were the, they were the first boat people. They were all from, there were still traditional Indians, you know, inbreeding, etc., keeping their customs. But they'd been in Africa for an awful long time, but they hadn't adopted into the, the system. So uh, that's a, that's a common uh, uh, legacy of uh, countries doing that, yeah. There's a couple of people in the chat box mentioning Gandhi had uh, met Blavatsky and uh, Annie Besant. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, he'd, he'd written about meeting Blavatsky and uh, was full of praise for her, apparently. Yeah. yeah. Well, Besant, too, her dad was a lord in the British uh, parliamentary system, the House of Lords, and uh, she wasn't some lower middle-class person at all. And uh, <clears throat> they're all elitists, of course, as well. But uh, they belonged again to the to the Fabian Society, which is just the left wing department of the Royal Institute of International Affairs. They control all sides, you see. And Carl Quigley, who was their own historian for the CFR branch and the Royal Institute of International Affairs, said that um, we don't care who we bring in, dictators, left-wing, right-wing, communists, fascists, it doesn't matter. It says as long as we bring them in, they can guide all their own peoples. And so, so they, they were the common guiders and motivators of all revolutions and etc. And this world governmental system that was always a dream under their own domain. Yeah. So, I mean, the Gandhi, I read, came from the, the merchant caste. So was, was he anyway involved in the East India Company? I'm pretty certain he was, actually, because even when he went over to Oxford, uh, the part of law that he was going into, again, was commercial law uh, for, for big corporations, which already existed in those days, yeah. Yeah, makes sense. Okay, um, moving on to, you said, uh, token imprisonments for Gandhi. Um, Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Now, uh, I mean, there's, there's still videos up today uh, with Nelson Mandela singing with his cohorts about machine gunning white people. And, and yet people still think he's a nice bloke. Uh-huh. Um, what, I mean, his, his role uh, was, was a, a, very, a very long one. Uh, he, was, he was used over a long period of time uh, by different governments all over the world to, to either promote an idea or to fight against one. Um, but he was held up as this icon of somebody who stood by the principles and uh, spent all that time in prison. Um, what was his initial background? Well, he, he was a revolutionary. Well, he belonged to the World Revolutionary Association, which was an international communist uh, association. But uh, <clears throat> his first, uh, he was, his charges weren't a, for, uh, weren't against him for being a communist. It's because he, he, the communists of those days, even Stalin did that before he got to power, um, and the Bolsheviks took over and so on. What they did, they were they, they robbed banks, big, big, massive bank holdups and train robberies and. The idea was to use the money for the supposed good cause of communism, international communism. And that was another schism between Trotsky and, and, and Stalin was the, the whole idea 
of international revolution, constant revolution, constant, 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 whereas Stalin uh, uh, basically sealed the borders to an extent of Russia and thought he'd have to take a long-term approach and do a cultural takedown of countries like the US and Europe, except, which they did, actually. Um, but again, Stalin uh, was also getting help, and so were the Bolsheviks from the Royal Institute of International Affairs boys and the big banks which they represented. They funded communism into action. So Mandela, uh, he was doing the same thing. He was, he was actually charged with bank robbery, uh, many bank robberies, mass murder of, of different people and workers in the banks, etc., or even on the streets, and for blowing up uh, school children in buses with hand grenades. That's, that, these were the charges. Yeah. And uh, he actually was found guilty of those. Yeah. And, and locked up for it. Um, and I think there was, there was a number of charges. It went into the dozens, I think. It was yeah, yeah. 30 or 40 charges. Um, and he never got off with any of them. But um, he's, he's held up now uh, as this, um, you know, the, the pinnacle of, of excellence of somebody yeah. who, who is, uh, you know, stands by the principles, but um, obviously he stood by his, his own principles and not the ones we're told about. Um, I mean, I, the, obviously the international media um, are well aware of his past. And, and well aware of his, you know, his, uh, his, his complicity in, in, in killing people, uh, if not indirectly. Um, yeah. But, um, I mean, to, to, to have that kind of control over the media uh, in terms of stating, stating what are blatant lies about this guy, and then, and then having all this stuff about his, his funeral and his... Uh, and, and at the same time, uh, they'll have a go at his wife for um, you know putting tires around people and setting them on fire, but he he's got nothing to do with that, of course. Um, that's all just swept under the carpet. And um, what what were his connections to the powers that be, if you like? I mean, was he was he approached when he was a young man to to do this uh, and told yeah. he, he'd be he'd be locked up for a while? I'm, but I'm sure he wasn't uh, locked up in any kind of uh, horrific um, dungeon. I'm sure he was, uh, he was doing okay, and I'm sure he got um, regular visits from people he wanted to see and all the rest of it. Yeah, he had much in common with modern Africa, uh, where you have tribal leaders uh, who are all competing and, and they kill each other off all the time for power. Uh, it's unsafe to be a leader in any place in Africa because uh, even your brothers bumping you off to get your position is quite common, always has been. It's very tribal in nature. So at the time, uh, he was picked because he, he, he definitely could murder folk, had no problem with that. And robber, robbery, etc., he'd do any kind of deed whatsoever. But I think he was brought on board again because um, Professor Carol Quigley, the historian for the Council on Foreign Relations and the Royal Institute for International Affairs, they have their own different version of history. They fill in the blanks as to why things happen, since they take credit for most of it. And they said that uh, they had sent Cecil Rhodes over long before that to create Rhodesia, but also to take over uh, South Africa that was under uh, a kind of uh, the Boer, which was, they were Dutch, basically, the Dutch colony. Although it became part, eventually, of the British Empire, and even they were sold out eventually by, again, the same organization that runs behind the scenes, runs parliament behind the scenes in Britain, the Royal Institute of International Affairs. So they wanted to take over all the world's resources. That was the idea behind the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And uh, it was actually, um, I think it was Curtis, actually, who, who was a big player for Milner. He was his mover and shaker. He was sent over and he became, for a long time, when they kicked the, the, the Boers out of power, basically, and Britain took over, they, they, uh, 
they put him in charge as the, the consular general, basically, of that, that place for quite a while, in fact, setting up the new system. So it's an ongoing process. It's over 100 years old of taking over all the world's resources into a small group of corporations whose members all belong to this one organization. And they run and they create friction between different sides. If they don't have sides to oppose something, they create them. Uh, that's the Galian technique to get change directed and planned change and produced change. Then you must uh, create an opposition to, to all that exists. And so they do that, right down to separating men from women and giving them their own political you know, ideologies, etc. That's a standard technique. Uh, separate everything and then you rule everybody who is dysfunctional because they can't get together all together to oppose anything. Uh, so you're living in a very, very clever, um, very old uh, organizational system that uses wars. The, the, the relationship of international affairs planned World War One and quickly again in the Anglo-American establishment, going through their own records. He was the archivist for their own records. They took credit for planning World War I with Germany from the time of the Boer War in South Africa. They were putting out their propaganda papers against Germany, building it up to 1914 in preparation for World War I. And when they couldn't get world government after that through the League of Nations, which they set up and created and ran, they set up the United Nations after World War II. And some of their members even said, well, the people haven't given up their sovereignty to a world government, which we will control. Uh, therefore, we need another war. So they gave you World War II, and they almost got it, because in the, right after World War II, the term United Nations was was really bashed by the people really put out there by all the papers. All the editors and owners belonged to the Royal Institute of International Affairs and they kept pushing for world government. They thought the folk would have had enough of war, mass slaughter, uh, poverty that comes out of it and so on, rationing. But the people still didn't give up their sovereignty and so they took the long route right up to the present time to get us there. And they're using economical warfare, everything they can right now, to get us into this world governmental system where the proper people themselves and uh, will be in the top and then they'll have all academia and experts and so on which have been training for 50 years in this particular system to take over and run our lives in a bureaucratic fashion. Yeah, yeah. I mean, talking about South Africa and Mandela, um, I remember being young and thinking, oh, that poor guy, he's been in prison all that time, blah, blah, blah. I mean, what, was he actually in prison all that time, or was he whisked off to some island where he could live in luxury and brought back? And We'll never know. We do, we do, we do know that one of the places he was in was more like a, a kind of open, uh, what you call an open prison today. You know, it wasn't locked behind bars in one of the main prisons. He was in for quite a few years, and he had his own servants and stuff inside there too. So, um, you know, he wasn't locked up in some little cell. No, and uh, I, I do remember that the whole sanctions thing, the apartheid system, and uh, obviously that was just part of the plan to bring Mandela up to this uh, level of status where the, the, the world population would be screaming for his release. And then he'd, 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 I remember watching it on the television, he gets out of prison with a suit on and, you know, the streets are lined with people waving and uh, all of a sudden here we have a celebrity. Um, and then he became Prime Minister, of course, and we look, we look at South Africa now, it's, it's barely in the news uh, anywhere, and yet it's, it's a basket case. I mean, yeah. that, that's his legacy. 
and and it's run now by foreign powers that own all their. It's all corporations that run it all now. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, nothing mentioned of that, of course. But um, to talk about Africa, uh, let's move on to Bob Geldof. Yes. Now, I've, I've heard you talk many times about him coming over from America, and I, I think it was the buy and sell you said he owned. Is that correct? Um, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah, that's the, the yellow paper that uh, you could put a free ad in or something and sell your, your car or whatever. Um, and it, it, I mean, I was I, I was surrounded the the punk era, and I was into that music and scene and all the rest of it. And I always thought the Boomtown Rats were the most awful band on the planet at that time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, they were talentless uh, idiots. I mean, for what of a better word, I mean, Geldof couldn't sing a note. Yeah. And 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 here we have him, uh, you know, a world ambassador. I know. Um, it's I mean, how how does a and his his own life, in fact, he's uh, he's Paula Yates. Uh, the the thing with the children, um, Michael Hutchins hanging himself supposedly, um, and and this guy's still held up as a saint. I mean, some people call him S Sir Bob, and well, he is Sir Bob, isn't he? Um, but Saint Geldof. Yeah. This, this this guy supposedly came from nothing, uh, somewhere somewhere in Belfast uh, in a slum, and uh, here he is. You know, any anybody can be king, I guess. Um, what what is his background be before he became a boomtown rat? If you if you know. Well, well, he was picked out early to, to actually, uh, you understand, the creation of stars is, it takes place when you're really young. Uh, they pick you out and, and basically groom you, and uh, it's like being an actor to an extent. Uh, and you simply are put into the band that's created for you, generally. Uh, not always, but, we can, but often you, you're picked out a lineup and put into a band, and, and you're told what your role will be, and you know, all that kind of thing. Uh, most of these bands that came out back then uh, weren't like the older bands, like the Who and so on, and they could hold a concert for two hours or more because they came up through the clubs, a lot of the guys. And that's where their apprenticeships were, and they could really uh, understand the audience. You'd feel the audience. If you can't feel the audience, you're doomed. And um, most of the, the ones, that, once they started to top of the pops in Britain with the Jimmy Savile, the big perv, uh, one, one of the big pervs, um, they started to get bands on then that were created simply f for two or three hits by the big machinery that owns the music industry and entertainment industry. Uh, and uh, I've seen some of them selected actually before when there were nobodies out of lineups and become and get maybe three hits in a row. And they were told that before they started, and then afterwards they just fade away because um, the, the, the idea being that people always want new faces. And, and and a particular age group too. So uh, it's all show business. Uh, they write fake stories about them, how wild they are, and all that kind of stuff. It's all fake generally, and uh, and change their names as well. That's very very common. But um, again, you, not not everybody can get into it. Uh, it's like Hollywood to an extent. It depends who you are <laughs> to get picked to go into it. You know. Charity work that he seems to do, which uh, he doesn't give nothing to charity, he just goes, goes and wages to his friends. Oh, there's been fantastic exposés about the big charities and live aid and all that kind of stuff. You know. don't, don't forget, too, uh, that um, there's a massive machinery behind Geldof that arranges all this stuff and big money boys at the top that arrange all this kind of thing. Uh, he probably didn't have much to do with it at all. Uh, he's a front man. Um, you understand that everything that you see happening is not a happening, as you used to call it. 
what happens is, is it takes massive planning by experts in the field of entertainment, sociology too, how to get the people in to, 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 to come and, and support and, and donate the money, uh, the build-up of publicity for the charity money they want to come in, and, of course, the massive hushing up of uh, what happens to the money afterwards. <laughs> so it, it's not one guy sitting planning all this himself. Yeah. No, of course not. I mean, it's, you, I mean, you can tell, really, by sitting watching them speaking. Uh, which which doesn't happen very often. Uh, for I mean, for front men, they're kept well out of the way of the cameras uh, most of the yeah. time. But when you hear them talking, I mean, they, they've not got two brain cells to rub together. No. And and yet they're supposed to be these uh, geniuses. Well, the thing is too. Again, you remember this as well. Now, they have they have not admitted to be that I know of to be members of the Royal of International Affairs. But it was about uh, five years ago. There were articles in the, the, the magazine for the American branch of the same organization uh, uh, on, on bringing more members of the, the uh, celebrities into, into this because they have big followings of young people who can then be uh, directed to, to activate or be activists and uh, participate in pushing the agenda. Remember, this organization, as I say, has, has been behind most wars in the last 100, or actually 150 years. And um, they, they, uh, they have a tremendous machinery. All the members uh, of the media are members of it, all the newspapers at the top, all the big ones. Uh, television stations, uh, everything, uh, members of, uh, that run, uh, even producers of Hollywood, etc. George Clooney's a member of it, and uh, so is Angelia Jolie. They're spokespeople for the CFR's uh, agenda because they have big followings amongst the younger people. And uh, they have many more, they're also singers and so on, but they try to keep them quiet from the, from the, the teenagers that follow uh, the music industry because they, they would not be all for that if they knew was this big stuffy institution was behind it. So they, they keep that pretty quiet. You'll you probably find they're also members of that. Remember, the Royal of International Affairs as well uh, run the whole British banking system at the very, very top levels of international money lending. And um, they want to take over the world's, all the resources, all the money supply. They set up the bank, they own the Bank for International Settlements that runs the world and the IMF, they own those organizations and staff them with their own people, they send their own people out there. Uh, they run pretty well everything, but they want this global society with a socialist flavor, because that was a technique that was used in the communist uh, uh, system too. They learned under the communist experiment, they could iron out all the problems where they couldn't get all the people to put all their heart and soul into their work and so on. You know, the government pretends to pay you and you pretend to work. That was the idea of communism. If you've got a real system where people believe in it, really believe in it, are brainwashed into all working together for a common cause, then you'll all sacrifice and do with very little and you'll obey uh, all the authority figures that are put there from all the massive government agencies that expand like cancers. That's part of their system. Uh, so this is all part of the system too, to bring folk into a common ideology uh, to bring all this to be. So you can't have wars, and if, folk start, if, the, if the peace movement starts to die off, you're going to have more wars to get them activated again. That's how they do it. And um, 
And then once they ban international war by banning all national governments, that's part of the, the EU system, by the way, and the North American system, once they had the full amalgamation in after the big, the, whatever crash they have next, uh, and the Far Eastern Pacific group under China and Australia and New Zealand, they're all to come into the, the same circle. They're the big conglomerate, three massive trading blocks all under one system and under the, the, the Bank for International Settlements. Um, and the whole academia uh, through UNESCO, United Nations, um, are on a standardized indoctrination system of social engineering uh, to, to prepare every generation of children. And I mean annual. Every year, they give them an, a, a little bit update from the previous years to what they're going to experience as they grow up through their lives, thinking it's all quite normal. When things happen to change society, they've been brainwashed, will happen when they're young. It seems all quite natural to them. That's a technique that even Beria, the, the head of the, the secret police, the, the execution squads in Russia, said in 1934 at a common meeting, he said it used to take 70 years, a, a full life generation, to prepare people for, for, for a, a social and, uh, and a socialist type revolution uh, so they'll go along with everything. Now he says we can do it every three or four years. We can update it more every three or four years with children coming in to, he meant kindergarten at the time, and preparing them then on through scientific indoctrination, the same system that Lord Bertrand Russell talked about. He was part of the same secret organization of the Royal of International Affairs, even before it was called that, when Milner ran it. And um, he talked about the same thing, too, through social experimentation. He said the state, but also meant the media, which is authorized and works with the state, will give children their, their culture and all cultural beliefs and cultural normals and through socialist, through a scientific indoctrination, the children, when they go home, uh, will totally ignore their parents. Uh, so the parents' input is totally disregarded, and the state will rule, because this technique was perfected back in the, the 30s and 40s and onwards. Uh, so that's, I, I've seen it my whole life long, too. Uh, the massive indoctrination in schools, all the social changes that were planned, have all come to be. You know, So... Don't get mixed up thinking it's a communist system. The communist technique is to run all of society so that the elite at the top and all the, the elitists at the top, uh, one particular elite, uh, will, will rule the world and live in a completely different lifestyle than anyone else. Uh, their minds will not be tampered with. And um, you find Charles Galton Darwin, who wrote the book uh, The Next Million Years, in the 1950s, he, was a, he worked on the Manhattan Project. He was a physicist, a member of the Darwin family. He said the same thing. He says, we are the wild men, uh, the elite. He says, we are the wild men. We, our brains must not be indoctrinated. We, we must think uh, in a survival mode and do whatever is, whatever is necessary for survival. Whereas the rest of the masses, he says, will have total social indoctrination uh, so that they cannot think for themselves. They will need their, their experts to, to guide them and tell them what to do, and they'll obey. They'll be trained to obey. Uh, that's pretty well happened uh, since that book was put out. Oh. Yeah, to, um, mentioned George Clooney there. Uh, it's, it's amazing to see the, the movies he's, he's been uh, taking part in over the recent years because they all uh, portray him as anti-the-system. Yeah. 
you know, uh, men and they're all kind of serious, serious movies uh, on kind of current issues, as, as it were. But he's always portrayed again as uh, fighting against the system. But here he is at the, you know, the CFR, uh, working for the system. Uh, it's the total opposite. And I, I mean, again, going back to Gandhi and all the rest of them, it's the same technique, as you say. Um, they portray themselves as one thing, and yet behind the scenes they're doing something completely different. And uh -huh. um, Angelina Jolie, of course, as well. They, oh, let's adopt a baby in Africa, you know. Uh -huh. And then, and everybody jumps in the bandwagon. Uh, everybody wants to adopt children from Africa for some reason. Mm -hmm. and, and screw up their lives. Although they don't have the nannies to take care of them, because Angela Jolie wouldn't have much to do with them. No, it's, it's uh, all PR. Um, I mean, I mentioned earlier that uh, there seems to be a major um, politician or celebrity put forward as uh, an icon uh, for different generations. Uh, do, do you see any any coming up for the next generation, or the, the, I suppose the current generation, 16-year-olds today? Well, the ones that have to be for the next, uh, up in about 2025 and so on, are, uh, must be pretty well either uh, um, gay, as we want to call it today. Uh, it's, it's actually illegal in some countries not to say that word. You must use that word. And uh, again, that's part of the system too. It's complete intolerance of, of anybody's opinion or even vocabulary. Uh, they tell you the words to use and that's it, or you get fined. And or lesbian and transgender. Uh, that's these are the ones that are really getting pushed to come up now. In fact, it was just announced in the papers there that the Ottawa schools in Canada, uh, that's near capital too, are putting in uh, these transgender uh, or mixed uh, toilets now that everybody everybody must use for schools and so on. Yeah, I did see that, and uh, I mean, I mean that that in itself. Is, uh, I don't I don't know what parents are thinking of. Well, parents don't think much at all. You forget that the parents that have the children in school today were also indoctrinated a bit further than their parents were indoctrinated. That's a technique that's used. Uh, the, the envelope is always pushed every, say, 10 years to the next step, to the next step, to the next step. And eventually, paedophilia will no longer exist. There'll be no such term or crime as paedophilia. It'll, it'll be normal intergenerational sex as long as everyone's consenting. That's, the, that's what they're pushing for now. Yeah, well, I've, I've heard the, the argument um, for a return to Magna Carta and common law and all the rest of it. And, of course, paedophilia wasn't a crime then either. So uh, there was no such thing. So yeah. if, if that's what people want, then, uh, you know, they better beware what they wish for. But um, I, I suppose they could turn around and say, well, we'll give you common law back, but, and uh, paedophilia is off the books. Yeah. <laughs> Remember, too, that Besmanov, that, that was one of the defectors from Russia and, and this, uh, the Soviets, he was a, an agent, you know, for the KGB. Uh, defected from his Indian post. He was put to India for a while and came to the U.S. and actually came to Canada too. He worked in the CBC, Propaganda Department of Canada, where he said he, he met more communists working there than he did in Russia. Uh, it's pretty well true. Uh, but he did say that he was, that most of the, all the James Bond stuff is nonsensical, he says. He says the, the money and, and the training in Russia mainly went towards cultural changes in the West cultural subversion, they called it. And the terms that they use it when it worked, he, he said well, he couldn't believe how well it had worked when he came to America and saw what happened there in the late 70s. He says he, he, they were stunned at how well uh, since the 60s and the university revolutions, again, all through agents that were sent over, 
supposedly freeing, uh, fleeing Hitler at the time, they came into the U.S. straight into universities and started this, this new thing of social sciences, as it termed it. It was really pushing communism, etc. Uh, but um, he said he couldn't believe how well it had worked, he, he said, because uh, the people were so contaminated. That's a term that's used when your culture's contaminated and, and people start to accept the, 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 the new ideas, which ultimately destroy them. Uh, is contamination. Uh, so uh, that's been so well done now. It's it's all pervasive. It's through society. It's, it's the norm now. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you see any any like um, how would I put it? I, I mean, politicians are put forward today as as, as celebrities, and the, we mentioned before they're becoming they seem to be dumber and dumber, and the, the stuff they come out with just doesn't make any sense. But they're all stuck in front of the cameras, and they, they say their piece, and uh, that's it, you know. Uh, some some uh, token journalist, in inverted commas, will be allowed to ask a, a question or two. Uh, they're all pre-planned, too. There's not a single interview you'll see on television. Uh, even when they have a mass audience supposedly talking about referendum or whatever, uh, it's all pre-planned. That came out in Canada a few years back. You saw this kind of arena, and all the top dogs were there. And the usual main uh, you know, popular newscasters take doing the show, and uh, every question from even the students who were attended were all pre-planned and arranged, etc. Everybody played their part in it. So uh, there's, there's nothing you see that's real anymore. And politicians, uh, even Brzezinski and, and, and Kissinger, they're above politicians. And again, high members of the, the CFR and Trilateral Commission, which is another specialised department of the same organisation, um, th- th- when they got come for a TV interview or a radio interview, uh, you must send in all the questions that, that you want to ask them, and then their agent, uh, the guys that look after them, will either cross some of them out or change some of them and so on. Before, and it's all done and arranged and signed and sealed so they can be sued if you don't go along with it before they go on live. Uh, that standard. There's nothing you see on television that is spontaneous. When you do hear a politician uh, getting off his script written by a professional scriptwriter, not themselves, uh, they bungle it, you know. So they try to omit that and, and tell me stay on the script. Yeah. Uh, I can uh, I can attest to that myself. Having spoken to politicians and got them off the script, yeah. uh, they, they basically either have to get out of the chair and leave, or you know they just rabbit on complete nonsense. There was one fantastic uh, video put out by a a Canadian uh, student, I think it was, who decided to go and ask uh, the politicians in Canada, the top ones in the federal government, what money was and and etc. And he talked to even the current Prime Minister at the time and the ex-Prime Minister and and they just started waffling trying to tell him why debt was good for Canada, being in debt. Uh, it was phenomenal as it trailed off into this absurdity and, and bewilderment because they themselves seemed bewildered because they're just puppets themselves. They're all put in place by, again, this top organization they belong to. Yeah. I think that documentary was called Oh Canada. Oh Canada it was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember watching that. And uh, <laughs> as I say, I mean, if anybody wants to see politicians flapping, uh, that's, that's a good one. It was fantastic, yeah, it was. Yeah, well, I mean, I've had my own experience with them. Um, what's her name? Uh, Natalie Bennett, the Green Party. Yeah. Uh, you know, I managed to get her to walk off. Uh, so that was that was worth doing. Mm-hmm. But um, you, ever, you ever been to to London to see who the co-founder of the Green Party was for Britain? Go on. Uh, uh, it's a very well-known uh, guy who uh, 
has been pumped up into the so-called alternative movement, uh, who's done big shows all over Britain for quite a few years. I mean, big ones, which tells you there's a bigger organisation behind it. Although it takes it takes you off into strange tangents, mind you, but... Uh, <laughs> I'll be the man who talks about uh, the moon being a spaceship, and uh, he was he was touted as being the leader of the Green Party at one time before he had his uh, ayahuasca moment in Peru or something, and and saw the light apparently. Well, was some drugs helped, though, I think. Yeah. yeah, yeah, ayahuasca, I think it was, or Piotl or something. Um, well, again, again, um, let's let's talk about um, people in the alternative movement who are put forward as supposed heroes. I, I mean, I guess um, in some ways. Bono and Geldof would come into that, but uh, they're more in the in the past. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, uh, uh, well, the, the, the likes of Ike and, and people like that, who people will will follow religiously. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can't say a word against them, but you're you know you're somehow you know can accused of working for the CIA or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's, I mean, there's there's lots of people like that as well, yeah. who are who are heavily promoted, um, not just on the UK and uh, worldwide in d- different yeah. countries. Everybody seems to have one. And ag- again, th- there's, th- there's got to be a, a consistent kind of uh, line of these people coming through the, the works um, to get the next generation. Yes. Wh- whether it's in the alternative movement, whether it's in the music industry or whatever. But I, I suppose in terms of young people, it, it's going to be either through television or, or music. Yeah, that's the whole idea of... of- the, the star creation, the machinery that creates stars. It, you, it doesn't matter if you're, you're, you've got talent or you don't. It, it matters if you're picked and the machinery gets behind you. They'll make you a star regardless of what you sound or look like. They'll make you a star, yeah. Yeah, uh, I, I don't uh, keep up with the music industry at all uh, these days. Uh, you'll, you'll get more people um, from the music industry that are getting a wee bit older past the teeny bopper stage that they'll get pushed into it to take over from Geldof and these guys. And remember what their goal is as well, is to get people who admire them because we admire the fantasies, the myths we're given, you know, of who they are. Uh, it, they're the new role, role models. In fact, the Royal Institute of International Affairs said a long time, or many years ago, they would create the role models for the youth. And they have, and the entertainment industry is part of it. Uh, the inter- never think for a second especially since World War II, but before, in the U.S., definitely, but since World War II, um, and every country under the United Nations created a Department of Culture. Why would you, living in a country, a sovereign country, have a Department of Culture if you, if you yourselves, the people, were the culture? You had the culture. It was to change the culture gradually. And they give out all the massive grants to to entertainment, uh, to novels, to children's books, to, to embed all the t- types of stories they want with the proper updating of their political correctness and their belief systems and ideas. That's, that's why every government has a department of culture. And uh, if you read some of the children's books they're putting out today, it's got all the greening, global warming in it, uh, universal governmental system running the world, all that kind of stuff for peace and happiness and the lovely little animals. Uh, so uh, you have no idea. Uh, you can't just take any entertainment at face value. There's some reason it's out there, and uh, in this day and age, you know, it's got a, it's got a motive behind it. Heavily worked out with producers, uh, the entertainment industry boys, 
who get on board with it to make it to embed it, especially in the visual arts now, with with video and movies. So, so you've got you've got auditory, you've got the the video all working together. You can get the emotional things in with the right topics, and and, and get folk crying so easily. Uh, and to believe an absolute myth of, of of what you're actually seeing, because you can make anything seem sad or tragic or whatever. You can make anything at all make appear to be that way. Uh, it's a tremendous, powerful tool uh, that's been used awfully effectively um, for a, an awful long time now, and it's permanent. It's permanent. If you truly have talents in any particular area, you could be the best there is. And if they don't, if they don't pick you up, because if it, you you get vetted by various producers and so on. And they'll ask you a lot of questions that seem kind of irrelevant. I'll try to get you, if you're in the music business, I'll take you out for a meal and some drinks and so on, get you chatting. But they want to see uh, if, if you can be molded to push whatever role they're going to create for you if they make you a star. And if you have your own opinions, and you're a bit too savvy about things, uh, you, you simply will never get in there. You know? I suppose uh, one institution that's kind of reinventing itself at the moment are the royal family. Now, I suppose in, in the past you would have Charlie Boy who was going on about the world and uh, the greeny stuff and all the rest of it, but no, nobody paid the blindest bit of attention to him because he was a moron yeah. uh, and he, he could barely sing a sentence together. But they've kind of reinvented themselves to have this uh, Kate and Will. You know, it's like, they're almost like the, the British equivalent of the all-American couple. They have their own, Buckingham Palace has its own professional large team of full-time propagandists working for them to churn out their own videos and documentaries and everything, yeah. And um, a lot of money goes into that to create the, the new impression of the of the new royalty, etc., how the trendy they are and all that stuff. Uh, there's nothing you can see that's actually genuine uh, or true there either. And they also cover up a lot of the things about the royal family. That's part of their, 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 their purpose too. When they were looking for a wife for Charles, uh, there's a lot I could say about that because I know what his uncle um, Mountbatten, who was called Tricky Dicky, who had his own uh, particular uh, affinity for little boys, you know, it was well known. Uh, he was worried about Charles not being too interested in women, and uh, I, I can't really tell you the whole story it's, uh, because it's still pretty secret, but. He tried to get Charles interested by going quite long lengths to get him interested in women. Uh, but um, eventually they, they started putting out, uh, in preparation, I'm sure they had Diana picked before, uh, uh, quietly waiting in the wings before they put out the star syndrome on her. But uh, the, the whole Buckingham Palace PR team uh, had Charles on a beach in Australia as a single man and they call him the most eligible bachelor and they hired over 20, 25 models really good looking models and bikinis to run up to him on the beach and like he was a film star uh, as they decided to promote the idea that he's a real man and you know a real lady killer and all that kind of stuff and uh, that was the preparation ends they built up built up to, in order to tell the public now he's ready to get a wife you see uh, but before that, everybody was kind of worried about him. So uh, you, there's nothing you see or hear uh, that really is true. Every, everything goes through public relations, which is the new term, remember, for propaganda. Yeah. I've, I've even heard people saying, um, not, not 
people I'd know directly, but I've heard people say that, uh, oh, maybe things will be different with the royal family now with Will and Kate in charge. And you think, what what planet are these people living on? When, when's it ever been any different, you know, with these people? But um, they seem to have captured the imagination of young people because they've, they've gone all out to, to make them celebrities more than they have uh, to make them part of this institution. That's right. Um, and I suppose they, they tried that with um, Andrew and, uh, what's her name, the redhead one, Sarah. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they, they tried that with them, but they, they ended up being a kind of, um, you know, X-factor kind of uh-huh. stuff. Uh, compared to these, I mean, this, this is a very slick kind of promotional job they've done at these two. They have big money and, and good producers and, and advisors and scriptwriters and everything, yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I wonder if uh, that's, that's a new catch for uh, the young people coming up. Well, I'm sure when the time's right and, and we do have either a final conflict, which could simply be economic conflict, to bring in the new system. We can't have just nations with are separate banks. We're going to have one big system worldwide. I'm sure then they'll bring out the royalty and everybody else across the planet to to start to advise people, but yeah, we've got to change and do something new to survive, etc. So, yeah, I'm sure that's why they have them all groomed and waiting in the wings. Or will this just go on and on? Um because it, there's going to come a point where they don't need it anymore, I would imagine, when, when everybody's just, you know, uh, ambivalent, ambivalent to, to whatever's going on, and uh, they don't need like, the celebrity culture to, to propagandise people anymore. Well, actually, you see, see, the old system of news is already gone. If you've noticed what you're getting now, carefully over a period of time, more recently, it was like, it was like the... The next notch was was turned up um, about six months ago, maybe a bit less. We were getting less news, and everything's secret. Well, this is national security. We can't tell you. Uh, the Trans-Pacific Partnership is secret, so we can't tell you. Uh, they're training the public, and they're, they're supplanting what used to be stories with uh, and putting in more trivia about stars again and gossip and sex lives and all that stuff. Um, or, or things which are, re- are relevant across the world and little factoids that you, d- you just toss out your head as soon as you hear it. Um, that's the new news. The people are being trained now uh, not to even think too much ab- above their station. Let's, let's go back to what it really is, back to their station in life. Uh, that's too complicated, uh, economics or whatever. Uh, just you leave it to special folk that are, that are come out of special wombs and, 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 and they rule it all above you. Uh, you just concentrate on your own little life, your own little bubble and your little fun things that you do on the internet or, whatever, or your, your booze-ups at the weekend. You concentrate on that and, and leave it to the special folk. So we're, we're being very cleverly trained uh, not to participate or even... Uh, to inquire into various aspects of everything that really affects your life personally. Yeah. That's a new t- It's already here. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I don't know if, if there... Will, will there ever be a true hero? <laughs> I suppose that's it. No, no, I tell you, there couldn't be... Uh, if it, you, you will not get something... Again, that's the, the myth of the Hollywood movies. The one comes along and does it all. For, the, the Clint Eastwood, you know, and rides in your town and... Um, that that will never happen, uh, especially today. In fact, because since about the forties, everybody again under the League of Nations going into the United Nations, uh, every nation, every signatory on it, 
literally has your complete record, even before we had the computers, you know, uh, school records, behavioral records at school, all that stuff is, is kept, you know. And Jack Satali, who, who uh, was a top advisor um, for the three French presidents, Mitterrand and all these guys, uh, he was a top man. He, he, they came to see him, not Mitterrand. And uh, then he's up at the United Nations now, I think. But he, 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 he's mentioned some parts of that too, that the collective information system was on the go a long time ago. Jacques Ellul, the philosopher of France, uh, a good French philosopher, also talked about that, that from, from the 40s and 50s onwards, that they had a, a Kardec system for all UN countries where they kept all your data. Uh, and they said there were techniques of collecting data from Britain, France, across America, um, where they even had retirees mainly from civil service, etc., who were given extra money for, and off the top of their pensions to go and move into different communities and literally sit and listen to gossip about different people in the streets. That all went, get, got fed into your little Kardec system. That's a spy system we already had long before the anti-terrorisms, etc. It was simply a transformation from one system to the electronic system, uh, which is full blast now. And um, so they know you from school, your personality type, everything, your, the, the topics of conversation, how serious you are. Uh, they know if they can use you and groom you. And then to do this approach, once you go into college, they've already got your name and they're looking for you. And they drag you out and put you into the CIA or civil service or something like that. And, uh, and and that's it. Uh, if you are a, a free thinker and you have opposing ideas, and as Bertrand Russell said in one of his books, um, one of them's Impact of Science on Society, and uh, he, he said that those children who will not come into our system and accept the scholarships we present to them, once you get a scholarship, it's really indoctrination they tried to get you into, uh, once you join the Ivy League system and feel you're special and then you have little to do with your parents or the families that you came from and so on, he said, if those children who, will, who won't do that and, and we fail to detect and who can communicate to others, who can really commu- communicate to others our system, uh, they said, uh, uh, we'll have to eliminate, and he meant uh, kill. Because if they can communicate what they've learned by themselves and through observation being aware, they'd have to kill them uh, because they could, they could really communicate their ideas to other people and that would be very, very, very dangerous. Um, that, that's, that's the system today. Okay, well, the time's up. And I guess uh, in one sense the stranglers were right. That, uh, there are no more heroes, but then again, uh, there never were. That's it. They, they'd catch you before you even go off the ground. <laughs> Okay, Alex, uh, thanks again, and we'll speak to you again next month. Uh, just stay on the line for a minute, although we'll be up to the show. Sure enough, thank you. Thanks yeah. a lot. Bye. Cheers. Now.